Hello and welcome to the very, very first episode of Roaming Roots, everyone. This podcast is focused on responsible and mindful travel and tourism. The reason behind it is purely my own curiosity about this topic. And my end goal is that we will all come out as smarter and more conscious travelers and that we can find ways to explore the world without feeling guilty about leaving too many big and heavy footprints, both on local communities and the environment in general. I am so, so excited about this project and I hope that you are too. The place to find resources and everything related to the podcast will be at my homepage bycause.co. So that is B-Y-C-A-U-S-E dot co. Hope to see you there. And now to today's episode. Today, I have the pleasure of having Byron Thomas, the founder of Nayara Travel, as my very first guest. Nayara Travel is a company that operates on the principles of transparency and purpose, creating unforgettable trips to inspiring places while directing more tourism revenue to the people and communities, protecting our increasingly fragile natural world. In this episode, we will be exploring the future of travel and tourism with Byron. We will learn more about his background and how he got into the industry, as well as the work that Nayara Travel does. We will also be discussing the importance of conservation and connecting people, the dilemmas related to travel, and what we can do to make travel more responsible. I have to say that this conversation changed some of my views about travel and That was exactly what I hoped for with this podcast. And coming from Scandinavia, where the term flight shame originated, Byron gave me some food for thought. So wait for that later in the episode. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for more information on Nayara travel and responsible travel in general. Thank you for listening and thank you, Byron, for sharing your insights with us. Welcome to the podcast, Byron. I'm so, so happy to have you as one of my very first guests for this brand new podcast about responsible travel. Thank you so much for having me. So I think you're the the perfect guest to start with when I have learned about your company, Nayara Travel, and everything that you do. I I think that will be super interesting for all, all the listeners, but... Before we start with Nayara, could you just tell us about your way into working with travel and tourism? Yeah, totally. Bit of an accident. So basically, I grew up in South Africa. I had a fairly modest upbringing. Folks couldn't afford us going to, there was four of us, couldn't afford us or going to universities and, and the like. Worked in a a bit of time in in London in my early 20s then went back to Africa and was doing community volunteer work in in the townships in and around Africa um and then after doing that for 5 years I wanted to do something else start again see the world a bit more be closer to the family so I moved to London was looking for a job my my CV looked a bit confused went from <laughs> business banking with Barclays to driving trucks and 
construction for five years in Africa in a, in a volunteer way. Um, and then found a, found a company in travel that had come from quite a sort of setup of Latin America travel. And we're looking to set up an Africa department. So myself and a lovely young lady called Sam um, were sort of asked to set up the Africa department. And it then became the biggest, well, probably the biggest department at that company. And yeah, about 10 years later, I got the opportunity to set up Nara. Fantastic. So I have read on your webpage, which I have to say to people that they have to check out because it's it's beautiful, that Nayara means with utmost purpose in Swahili. So I know there's a story behind this. What's this? Yeah. So a few years ago, I was at a conference and some videographers showed this absolutely beautiful place called Nyasa. So not Nayara, but Nyasa um, is what we call it today it's a beautiful uh, park in uh, northern mozambique and we were talking about the problems that that place faces um you know wars had decimated the majority of the wildlife in that area and still to this day tourism sort of photographic tourism has a very small almost non-existent sort of impact on that area the majority of that area is looked after by hunting so i just remember thinking to myself we were having fairly complex discussion with conservationists people in the travel industry and the hunting sort of sector about how we look after that place i remember thinking to myself one day when we get tourism into nyasa then i can retire happy and so i wanted to call the company after that beautiful place nyasa i we looked into the name quite extensively and we actually realized that this happens quite a lot it was actually mr david livingston that misheard the real um name and the local community used to call that area nyara so it was two r's not two s's um and so we decided to use Nayara, um, mainly when we found out that that word in Swahili, so further up the continent, uh, means with utmost purpose. And we were like, okay, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's the name. It's perfect. So, so your, your company, your, uh, what is it that you do? So, so yeah, what we do is we put together trips. So, we're not a travel agent. A travel agent, someone generally speaking in your local um, community that um, can just sort of set up uh, trips for you and book things for your on your behalf. We're a tour operator, so we we put together an entire trip in a destination and sell you the entire trip. Um, yeah, and that's really uh, what we do. Um, functionally. Now, how we do it, and the reason Nara is a little bit more special than more standard trips that you can book is that we have those things in mind. So first of all, your carbon. Um, and carbon is obviously a big part of travel, um, especially international trips. Um, we don't just sort of offset it. Um, we've put a lot more time and effort into what we do there so we have looked for carbon drawdown projects so 
it's not just looking after a, a a forest that exists and you know the status quo is 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 that is what it is irrespective of whether you fly or not it's about actually re- removing the amount of carbon that you have put into the atmosphere so we yeah. use people like mossy earth for our our uh europe trips we use some folks in africa called um bcp biocarbon partners um and these guys are are really f- sort of industry leading um in how they work with carbon drawdown projects mm. um then your trips also have a hopefully equal impact on the local communities and cultures that you're visiting and conservation projects as well uh, and we do that through taking less commission than the standard commission model of the industry which in in Africa tends to be as much as 35% we take 10 so there's i think conservatively there's a sort of 15 20% saving on uh on commissions that the lodges pay to us for booking their 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 services and with that money with that let's say 15 20% um that we save them we say hey please can you support a local community or cultural project and can you also put, and or put it to to conservation yes so you you avoid what you're calling the the leakage that often happens with too little money come going to directly to the local community right that's yeah. what you're working towards yeah i remember seeing an article in 2020 um, the UNWTO ran an article that said something on the lines of for every $100 spent, less than $5 gets yeah. to local communities. So that that obviously, as populations are growing and will continue to grow in these areas, we need to make sure that people actually are getting the money um, mm. and are seeing the benefit of you know keeping this area that's next door to them pristine that that's super important so yeah that's that's what we're trying to prevent that industry leakage term you know i remember seeing a a just this year the african leadership university ran a report on conservation the sort of state of conservation in africa and they actually warned about the the sort of overly attacking the trade and overly saying that, you know, these people are taking too much money. Um, respecting the, 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 the trade and respecting the fact that people in the industry are doing a lot of hard work. But as someone who is, you know, absolutely involved in the industry and has been for 10 years, as much as I respect everyone in the industry from DMCs to tour operators, like, I think we can all have a bit of a look at how much money we are we are taking and how more importantly how much money is getting to the local communities because you know sure we can run status quo for the next 15 20 years but you know if we don't look after the local communities in those areas they may well end up having no choice but to turn those areas into agricultural land to support mm. their families and then you'll have no industry left so it's about just thinking about the future a little bit more and just doing and and nara is doing that we're trying to challenge everyone in the industry to just say you know can you send more 
can you can you can you take one two five ten percent less whatever you can do like what can you do to to support that the changes and and the investment into the the areas that that we send our travelers to yeah you have just to to let people know that you are mainly or at least you started off working in asia but now we also have destinations in now it's sorry africa now we also have destinations in asia and europe you you even have norway on your on your list i saw yeah so but your 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 heart is africa still yeah i think that's safe to say our investors and and my sort of founding team are quite africa centric i think this industry leakage thing is more the majority of the problem is in africa you know there are a lot of places where the the commissions that are given out in europe for example are just nowhere near that so you know the 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 value proposition of nara from a from a industry challenging perspective is a lot more straightforward in in africa and africa has a lot of work to do it has a lot of of things that it needs to constantly invest in and and look after so yeah that's just my question my question to the industry is like why is africa such a high commission rate Mm. compared to the rest of the world um but talking about it from a client perspective if there's biodiversity that's being threatened on the front line then then yeah we are open to sending people there and giving you an ability to book that with tour operating help at the absolute least absolute smallest cost to the destination yeah good so we need to talk a little bit about like the the main reason behind this podcast uh, which is that my idea that we we need to have more than one thought in our heads at the same time. So one of the, the big issues often coming up when we talk about travel is the, the impact it has on climate and the emissions and the environmental part. But there's other aspects to consider. So for instance, what you talked about conservation but also connecting people and open minds as you say on your website so how do you think yourself that we should deal with all these dilemmas related to travel and how do we balance the different different considerations we need to take um so yeah you and i have already had a discussion about your kids and where they should travel as as they get older and i think one of the things we need to be very careful about is to not be anti-human in how we think about dealing with the climate the climate emergency that we have and also with the loss of biodiversity that we face i think i often say this but travel and tourism is the only thing that i'm aware of that first and foremost has a vested financial interest in improving and expanding not just protecting biodiversity there's no other industry that i'm aware of that that puts money into looking after wildlife looking after biodiversity and so that's a very important thing to understand i think the other thing to understand um i was recently having a chat with jonathan um our our investor and he was saying 
that actually the the loss of biodiversity you could argue is is behind the climate crisis and it's not to say that our emissions don't need to be curved and aren't part of the problem but imagine a world where we hadn't destroyed the forests that we destroyed um you know i remember as a kid hearing that we're we're deforesting the amazon soccer pitch a day sort of thing mm. Like, and, and as far as I'm aware, that's been happening for my entire existence. Yeah. Um, you know, that's decades now. And that's like, that's, that's a crazy thought. Imagine if, you know, we had double the amount of rainforests. Imagine if we had the, the, the biodiversity on our side that had never been lost, that all that carbon that was in these deforested areas had had stayed in the earth you know the terrible peat fires that indonesian rainforests struggle with you know it's not the trees that are the the main carbon footprint it's the it's the meters of soil that are so dense with carbon within that rainforest that now are on fire and it's just all going back into the atmosphere it's an interesting thing to posit and i'd, I'd love to know I'm not sure we can sort of accurately truly account for this, but if we had not chopped down it, all the rainforests that we've chopped down and all the forests, would we be in this scenario? Well, we mm. certainly would be in a better place. And certainly goes without saying that one of the only ways, if not the only way to deal with the, car the carbon climate change crisis that we have is we need biodiversity on our side. Mm. And so I would say, yeah, that, you know, this idea of not flying is something we have to revisit. It's like, mm. no, actually, everyone, get in planes, go look after these places, go invest in them, go spend your tourist dollars in these areas. It's super important to do that um, because it's the only it's the only way that you know, in this imperfect world that runs unfortunately on money and economies that's the only way we we can do that and i think if there's any if there's any positives that come out of the luxury world is that all this money floats to the top and gets um you know rich people richer one of the best ways that i, I know of 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 taking that money and putting it in the right place is is biodiversity first tourism mm. um so yeah my 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 mission is to get people to spend absolutely the most amounts of money they can possibly spend on travel and if you can do that and it's three three trips a year you know make sure that you're going to places that are looking after biodiversity and i believe that's carbon well spent yeah very interesting i really like to be inspired I love to be told about new resources, books to read, podcasts to listen to, or anything else that can put fuel on the tank, so to speak. So I was thinking about how I can give you some short snippets of inspiration and spread it out through the podcast. And then I ended up with this segment called Today's Travel Toolkit. And this is the first one. Today's travel toolkit contains a book. I am really early in my journey in exploring the world of responsible travel, but my library of books related to the topic is slowly growing. I think this book was the second I bought. 
It's called the bucket list, eco experiences, traveling the world, sustaining the earth. And it's by Juliet Kinsman, who is a very well-known travel writer and sustainability expert. And I'm sure I will mention her a number of times in this podcast. Anyway, this book is packed with 1000 eco-friendly ideas for places to visit, all of them focused on keeping the planet and local communities and you happy. So speak about inspiration. This is very much a book for inspiration. It's divided into six chapters, uh, which are the different continents. It's So it's North America, South America, Europe, Africa and the Middle East, Asia and Australia. In each chapter, you can go into all the different countries and you can look for different kinds of experiences. So you can explore sustainable accommodation, culture, food, nature, volunteering, wildlife, and you can just choose what suits you the best or where your interests are. And there's so many beautiful pictures and you really, you really end up wanting to go places. But the good thing here is that if you, for instance, are going on a vacation to, to France and a specific city, you can look, look, look it up in this book and you can find different, like, the best eco-friendly places to stay or restaurants to go to or other kinds of experiences. Finally, I will just read you a short paragraph for, from the introduction because I really like what she's saying here. Are we supporting sustainability if we fly? One of the most significant ways to fund environmental and social initiatives is by roaming from home. Yes, it's crucial we reduce our emissions fly less, eat less meat, prioritize low-carbon activities and transit. Yet, benefits come from where we go, how we travel, and who we support along the way. Travel by train, go slower, buy local, waste less. So, this book is highly recommended from me, and it will open your mind to more ethical, responsible, and not the least, more fun and adventurous ways of traveling. I will put the link in the show notes and the episode description. And now, back to the episode. So how do you think about that when you when you create the trips for people regarding the places that you choose? How does it work, really? When we set up, we originally planned for it to be Africa first and then sort mm. of spilling out as we grow. But we know a lot of places around the world and have met a lot of people in the in the communities that we're part of, um, most notably the long run community, which I'll speak to now. And and we realized that there are just these awesome places to go to that really, really, really need the the support. So again, I spoke about the Cerrado just now. That's actually the first place that we did a marketing push to because 2020 was when we started um, doing that, we sent a National Geographic photographer, Keith Ladzinski, who's um, traveled with me many times out there because at that stage, we had Bolsonaro in in power in Brazil and he was just, you know, the, the Amazon was just being decimated at, at insanely speedy rates. 
and again you know that's the headline you know the 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 amazon on fire but there's other issues brazil has a huge problem with with soy plantations and 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 again that's sort of an agricultural thing that's going into meat production and you know there's there's tons of articles and studies that show that you know even in a shop here in london if you're not careful you're going to inadvertently be destroying biodiverse areas in brazil because of where that that goes and how quickly it gets to our food chain um so we choose our areas based on where people need to visit where mm. people need to like and in an emergency sort of setting need to to look after biodiversity so that's the first and foremost um now there's a huge caveat to that it bugs me saying this in a way because i think one of the huge problems that conservation has put itself in particularly in the africa context is that there are too many places in the world that biodiversity and animals are more important than humans Mm. and so that really really bugs me so i'll give you an example um uganda Bwindi's impenetrable forest it's a tiny little little place if you look at it on google maps well it's it's a tragic thing really when you when you see as you zoom in on a satellite image of africa you see this, this awesome dark green of the Democratic Republic of the Congo and the Congo rainforest, the second biggest forest in the world as far as sprawl, but actually not dissimilar in its capacity because it's a much taller rainforest than um, the Amazon. As you as you come in, uh, as you go sort of east and you get to to Uganda, it disappears and it becomes light green. It becomes deforested area, mm. but there's this little patch of dark green and it's really beautiful. And it's called Bwindi, impenetrable forest, which is such a cool name. I think the sad thing is, is that when that, when that was set up a few decades ago, there was also a, a, a local um, pygmy community called the Batwa that lived in that forest. And they have lived in that forest for thousands of years, along with the mountain gorillas. But the government of the time decided there's no real way of saying this. They decided that the Batwa needed to move and the gorillas needed to have that land. And so Mm -hmm. you had this tragic scenario where this amazing culture of people that live in forests... um, and know how to deal and live in a forest in a sustainable way are kicked out because of the gorillas. Mm. Now, I'm not saying for one minute that gorilla conservation isn't important, but the sad reality is I can't see another way of skinning this cat, and that is the gorillas were more important. And I think no matter where you look in Africa and around the world, that's often the case. Um, and so that doesn't mean that the gorillas aren't important. It doesn't mean that that forest isn't important. It doesn't mean that the biodiversity there isn't important. And I, I do think that one of the biggest 
threat that we face in humanity is as humanity is the loss of biodiversity to a point where it doesn't it's not able to recover itself mm. but we're making a mistake and i think there's been some missteps in conservation and not looking after the people and the communities of the area and so <clears throat> we are let's say biodiversity first but mm. again i don't I just want to drive this point home is that we still consider the local communities and the local people as part of that biodiversity because yeah. if we don't look after both of them and humans unfortunately need to be as the most important thing then they're not as important they need to be slightly more important than anything around them that that's how we operate mm. so two things um can can we look after biodiversity first that's the sort of screaming emergency and so yeah i that's in our initial offering when we launched it's all about sending people to those places that look after these places especially if they're on a front line i.e deforestation is close by or um agricultural sprawl is threatening that grassland whatever we are keen on sending as many people there as possible and we use places that look after the local communities and get the local communities involved as much as possible as well yeah there's a difficulty there and this is the more commercial challenge that that presents to us is that most people have a very pre-marketed pre-set of ideas on what they want to do Okay, so when you speak to Af someone who wants to go to Africa, generally speaking, they want to go see South Africa and they want to do a sort of wine and waterfalls and, and safari type thing around South Africa. And maybe the other thing they want to do is see the Great Migration. Mm -hmm. uh, that's to an extent what we need to market to, because if we don't market to that desire, we'll never get to speak to people in the first place and say, hey, actually, there's a whole different world of things and experiences and places that actually need your travel. You know, how about you go do this, this and this instead? Um, so our marketing in, in a way needs to grab the right people that don't necessarily know the, 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 the best places or the most important places to go. And so we, that's what we do. We, we, we have this marketing out there that goes, Hey, travel with us. We do it properly. And if you want to see the migration in Tanzania, that's fine. You can, but then we'll, you'll be also be speaking to a travel researcher that is qualified in uh, sustainable travel. Um, all the people that you speak to have a qualification through the GSTC, and we we just have that more open conversation of mm -hmm. where you should travel and where it's going to have the most impact. Yeah. So when I when I started looking into this world of, uh, of more responsible travel, it was like this oh this big uh, big new sandbox opening up for me, and very interesting to see everything which is happening in this uh, space. So you have also at some some point been new to this more more responsible and conscious travel. So what did what surprised you the most? about like good or bad and or how long or how far we have to go or you have any thoughts on that when you first started exploring this uh this space 
Yeah, I would say the the biggest challenge, and it's a huge challenge, is the complexity of what I call true and honest accounting. Um, so, you know, it's one thing to say that you can go to this lodge, you can fly around the world, you can offset your flights, and you need to spend X on the safari, for example. But what is the real cost? Like, what is the real cost of the plastic that you'll use? What is the real cost of the carbon that's being emitted at 37,000 feet, which is way different to carbon that's emitted at ground level? What's the real cost of the local community? Is it positive or are you having a negative effect there? Mm. How, how, do you, how do you deal with the complexities, for example, of, of whether you're looking after and positively impacting a culture? Should you be positively impacting a local culture? Should you not be positively, should you not be impacting it at all? Like, what am I saying? It's complex. It's really, really complex. Um, Sustainable travel or or travel that has a net uh, positive impact is is an extreme, it's an extremely complex sum of, of, of costs and benefits. And, and so I would say where we still have a lot of work to do is accurately accounting for that all. Yeah. You know, at what point does a safari that we offer become sustainable? Is it, at what point is it worth someone flying across the world? Mm. At what point should we be saying as a tour company, no, actually, we're not going to help you with that? Like that's, that's, I think where the whole tour operating and the whole world is struggling. Um, you know, a lot of people want to go to South Africa. There aren't enough places in South Africa, as an example, but anyway, there aren't enough places that are, that are truly sustainable. For example, that are running with electric vehicles and have done their maths on whether electric vehicles are actually good thing for them or not. There's there's a handful of lodges in South in Africa in the, on the entire continent of Africa that are using electric vehicles. My point there is there isn't enough. Uh, the, the the people the lodges that are doing what you need to be sustainable there aren't enough of them. So so the question is do we stop traveling? Well, that's that's the biggest complexity like is is sort of accounting for it and and measuring it so that we just know like at what point should we say no at what point should we be encouraging um this lodge over that lodge Mm. the complexity of it is vast and i would say to people listening that the one thing that i would just ask everyone to bear in mind is that carbon is not the only equation Air travel only equates for two to three percent of our emissions globally, right? And that's the entirety of air. That's that's everything that happens in air. It's all the pointless flying around for business that people do, mm. which is, I think, safe to say, a bigger part of of that emission sort of subset. It's it's really is okay to travel as long as you're traveling to places that truly need your your money. Mm. Um, yeah it's not just about carbon it's about it's about water usage it's about your energy usage it's about your impact on communities um from a financial perspective it's about making sure that 
people's cultures are going to survive all these things um and and the biggest thing like like we said earlier is biodiversity the loss of biodiversity is is one of if not i believe it's the single biggest threat that we face and and it's a precursor to the climate challenge and if we had destroyed half or less than half of what we we already have destroyed i don't think we'd be in this situation where we're facing you know the the point of of these sort of tipping points that you know we might not get back from yeah so protecting biodiversity is absolutely key if you do that in a trip that you want to go on you're probably in the right place it's probably justified you mentioned the the what you call the pointless travel that people do for work so one thought i had recently is that you know, we often kind of excuse the travel or it has been that way, at least as, oh, I have to travel because it's work. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's okay in a way, but shouldn't we rather turn, turn it around? Because we have proven during COVID that we can do, I can't almost think of anything that we couldn't do online for work if it's not kind of really physical presence needed. So. For me, it would be more important that we travel to explore and to get to know other cultures and see nature, see the nature that we want to preserve, etc. So kind of just flipping it. I think how I think about it and how we all need to think about it is that we know how much carbon we can put into the atmosphere. So we have a global carbon budget pretty sure it's about 2.3 tons a year that we can use sustainably per human so my challenge to everyone is and first of all if you're in america you're already like i think it's five times over that i think it's something like 15 16 tons is the average for an american mm. per year in the uk it's, and, and europe it's a little bit better it's about half that but it's still you know four times three or four times the amount that's that's sustainable Mm. so my challenge to everyone is try let's try and get that average down as much as possible considering that a lot of us live in these places that have high levels of emissions per capita also there's something i've been thinking about a lot recently is we also need to remember that people can't freeze in winter and heating homes in north america europe um is is a big part of that equation you know that's just a reality it's it's a geographic reality of where we where we live um but that aside like how are you spending your carbon budget like there's a cost involved to everything where can you save money um i say money but where can you save carbon and how do you want to spend your budget well if you eat less meat and you go a plant-based diet as much as possible. And this is coming from a South African who loves his bras and his, his, his steaks and everything. But I've, I've felt like it's, there's no choice. You have to just at least reduce. I'm, I'm not saying everyone needs to be vegan. That's not the answer. I don't think either. There is 8 billion people on this planet right now. And a huge amount of the the food that we generate goes to the meat industry. So 
and and I think that's a much well I know that's a much bigger problem in the world than travel. Something like twenty five percent of our mm. of our emissions is food related. Yeah. So, you know, think about that from that perspective. Curbing your tr- curbing your flying is going to reduce emission. Going to reduce two to three percent of the world's emissions. Curbing what you eat is going to be affecting 25% of the world's emissions. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's work to be done there. Think about what you what you what you buy. Like that's a huge issue. Think about mm-hmm. fa- uh, your fashion, think about the cars you buy, think about the electronics you buy. Like stop buying them. Yeah. And you start reducing your carbon footprint. You know, heating and then and then looking at and I, I, I'm a big fan of this, making sure that people give their their companies as much stick for making them travel for work. Yeah. And if to some extent you can take that on as a mission, then we reduce that. Then all of a sudden we start reducing things that can and should be reduced because they are superfluous. They are too much. They are excessive. I've been to some conferences sometimes in conservation that are great, awesome conferences. And then we had one once that was online and it was actually my favorite conference. Mm. And I felt like we got the most done and said, and I'm like, guys, like we work in conservation. Like we should maybe not have these across the world. And I don't want to, I don't want to again, sort of be too negative there because i do believe that there are some major things that happen at conferences and that conferences can be in and it good but i think we just need to be super careful about it mm. super careful about it and yeah so it's it's not just looking at travel and going oh i'm not going to travel i'm not going to fly anymore because if you're eating a steak every night yeah, it's pointless yeah. it's just and conversely, if you're a vegan, but you're flying all over the place, you know, then that's not going to help in either. Um, it's it's about thinking about what we can actually afford, which is scarily too low at the moment. Mm. And I think just because we can't realistically get to 2.3 tons per year doesn't mean we shouldn't hugely reduce. But we need to, we obviously need to rely on technology and hopefully rewilding and re-biodiversification of the planet to to deal with uh, with uh, the debt that we're getting in right now mm-hmm. yes so i have a, a one last question for you how do you wish to see the travel and tourism change in the coming years and and how should we you have said a lot about this but how should i think now as a traveler planning my summer holiday perhaps how should i go about this and and what changes would you see like to see in the coming years so let's start with that last bit first what changes do i would i like to see well as someone who currently runs a travel company i would say that travel is currently not sustainable I think it's one of the lo- uh, one of the areas that is trying to be sustainable and to a large extent is leading the way in some in some um sort of some sort of um way but it's not there yet and I think particularly when we look at 
the protection of biodiversity again going back to accurate accounting we don't actually realize and haven't fully accounted for how truly valuable these beautiful biodiverse islands that we've got left are we don't know how much they're actually worth um we're learning that as we go you know every now and then someone pops up about how bees are just dying and then the study is done about what bees mean to us and they are essential essentially for existence mm. pollination is and it is an essential part of how we live as humans. So biodiversity needs to be properly accounted for. That's something I'd love to see. I'd love to see in an African context, the, the concerns and the hangover from colonial days addressed. Africans need to have ownership of their land, their biodiversity heritage, you could say. When, and I use the word ownership because with ownership comes huge levels of responsibility and care as well. But I think that those those things are, are, are what, what I would love to see. I'd love to see people that are truly not just looking after the biodiversity, but but treating it as a financial asset that if you look after can you know pay compound interest, looking after the communities in that area making sure that you consider that they are also part of nature, what we call nature, making sure that humans are also in the equation and are looked mm -hmm. after. We have leaps and bounds to do um, still in, in those two areas. But I think when I get to old age, hopefully the, our use of technology and our understanding would have got us um, further down that. And then... And then talking to people that want to travel, I would say this. Don't, please don't forget that the single way that you can financially contribute to those goals, i.e. to the protection of biodiversity and to the um, development and inclusion of humans in those areas is to travel. This... Um, Scandi vibe of flats. What what do they call it? I think it's Danish. Flat Swedish. 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 Flygskam. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to go. <laughs> it's got to go because we should we should realize that that travel and tourism is the single bastion of protection, the single shield, um, in the financial perspective, which is how this whole world works, whether we like it or not. It's that only shield that tour that that biodiversity has to protect itself hmm. um and i think remembering as well that emissions from flying are a important thing to reduce but please don't decide to not fly anymore because there are still huge places in the world that completely depend on on tourism for for livelihoods but also for protecting the biodiversity and the the beautiful places of nature that they look after so if you're looking at traveling please please travel with someone like naara there are other companies that don't do as high-end stuff like intrepid travel that we you know sort of deal with sort of more accessible price points as well there are cool people out there that really do think about things and that have invested a lot of time and money into 
helping people travel with um, the least amount of negative impact and the most amount of positive impact. Mm-hmm. Um, just find companies like them um, or just completely travel with us. We'd be very happy with that as well. Um, but but yeah, that's what I would say. Travel is important and travel is something that you shouldn't feel any scam about, any mm. embarrassment about, um, as long as you do it properly. Yeah. As long as you realize that there are places that should be traveled to and there are some places that shouldn't be traveled to as much mm. as they, they used to be. Yes, so true. And I would like to, to mention that you have written a, a really good, in your, as mentioned, very beautiful website, you have this post on on what people can think about when they want to find responsible travel operator and i thought that was a really great starting point reading that post so i will put the link in the episode description for people to see perfect thank you so much for your time byron it's been great i've learned so much and i wish you all the best for your your continued journey with the nayara travel Thank you so much for having me and helping us get uh, our mission out there to everyone. I really appreciate your time as well. There you have it, the very first episode of Roaming Roots. As I said earlier, I had some eye-opening moments in this conversation and I actually got a lot to think about. One thing I'm absolutely sure of is that things are never black or white. We have to stop this all or nothing approach when it comes to traveling. And we need to put the pros and the cons into into context. As Byron says, there are so many complex questions and challenges, but if we do it in the right way, travel can really be a very strong force for good. To follow this journey further, you know what to do? Hit follow or subscribe in your podcast app. And also, if you want a direct link into the library that I'm building of different resources about this topic, I have created this living page in Notion. Not very polished or pretty in any way, but hopefully a good source for knowledge and inspiration. You can find it at bycause.co forward slash resources. And that's all. See you next time.